Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. What you hear on Cold Truth, it is subjective. It is based on the perception of myself, the interviewees, and what is available to us, the public. We are not law enforcement, prosecutors, or judges. They are the ones, the only ones, that are tasked with the responsibility of serving out justice. My goal is to tell these victims' stories to the best of my ability and to gather as many facts as I can. Getting back to the children coming first, I hope that that is heard loud and clear with the labs and the way that money is delegated. These are children, you know, and they should always be a priority, no matter how old the case is. I understand the politics of it. I understand the urgency of something that comes in that is a murder or that, you know, happened recently. And I sure wish that they could, our government would allow for a total separate lab like that. I know it's probably a dream for cold cases and the processing of just cold cases within the FBI and their technology. It shouldn't have to be a a dream. You know I mean? Uh, They could do it. You know, they could, they could allocate the money and because the night, a 19 year old person who, was murdered is just as, uh, you know, important as someone who was murdered yesterday. And so they both deserve attention. Right. So exactly. while you got guys working on the new cases, you know, have a, a whole, like you said, the cold case team plus the forensics and just have a whole operation for that. Right. And I know we've talked about it before. I just don't think that a killer that kills in the manner that Shannon's killer did is just going to go away without reoffending. Right. Um, yeah. There, right. there can always be an exception to that rule, but uh, there's still a there's still a risk to the American people wherever they are. Their risk to children. Uh, yes, if they, I mean, because if they someone who did that once, regardless of what kind of killer they are, the chances of them doing it again is there. So absolutely, right. I mean, these the kids today are going to be the you know the the leaders of. Uh, you know, the future for the country. So not just the ones, you know, I mean, because predators, it isn't always when they're murdering the kids. A lot of kids are going through abuse that they're living with and growing up with. That's important to, to stop it all, all the forms of abuse. Absolutely. Yeah, it starts there. You know, it's time we get back to that. And then, you know, Pratt Park. Wow, that place was gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Seeing the tree in real life. How big it was. How it's big it so is. big. And I know I had you pose with that branch, just a tiny little branch. And that's how big right. the tree was when it started. And it's that thing is, it, it really is huge. And that's a perfect place for that tree because that's any kid that grew, grew up in Prattville has been at that park many times playing on, and to right. have her tree right. right there in the center of all of the life and activity that's going on. That's the perfect memorial, I think. Absolutely. Um, Tammy and Charlie, she works at and DJs at Big Star Tavern. 
Yeah. And they donated quite a lot of supplies and things for us. And I'll tell you what, I had so much fun. We we went there on <laughs> Saturday night. That place is cool. It is really cool. And everybody, they all had nicknames. <laughs> I'm meeting everybody. And this is Jimbo. This is Jim Bob. And they all have like little names based on quirks. They've had incidences or whatever that have happened at the bar. It was so much fun. Yeah, that's so that's the South. <laughs> and they all came to the vigil. So many people that I remember meeting um, at Big Star that night were there. Yeah. And so that was really cool that when I looked out, it wasn't all strangers because <laughs> you were on the stage too. So <laughs> right. that was really nice. And I know it, he didn't it really get makes you there, feel but. comfortable when you have those kind of people around welcoming. And one of the people I met, she actually let me, you know, she held my phone for me the whole time for the recording that uh, got deleted, but everybody got to watch it live. So that was really cool. They all loved it. And I want to thank them for watching and supporting me and Shannon's family. They're a great group of people. And, and you know, I wasn't um, sure when we were doing a little planning session there. Um, I didn't know what to make or what, how the band was going to be, but those guys were excellent, you know, and they, they was just right. Ricky Fitzgerald, who it's Hank Williams, the fourth and the Lost Highway Band. He is related to Hank Williams. Isn't that right? Oh, yeah. I, thought, I think so. Yeah. 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 They, he had, we talked about that. Um, he, I think he is, he would be Hank Williams, the fourth if he was named a fourth. He has a, he has a great voice. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do that to my kid. <laughs> <laughs> he has a great voice for it. Oh, great. They did such a great job. No, they really made this yeah. event even more special. Um, yeah. Thank them again. And check them out on YouTube. I will put the link in the episode description with all the other ones. And they're really good. And if you're in Alabama and you need to hire or call upon them, I mean, they're, they're, they're professional and they sound amazing. Everybody enjoyed the music on the live stream, I know. So uh, that was a good time. And then Roger, what a sweetheart, you know, yeah. he spoke and he sang her song and it was so beautiful with all the candles, then the lanterns, you know, that was just so pretty and such a reminder of the light that Shannon was and the 19 years that have gone by, you know, without. I can't imagine. I just, I know I say that a lot and that's just awful. Yeah. Every day, just not knowing in that way that that has to impact their life and detour it. Every day. You're right. Every day. You you always have that. I can't imagine, you know, what that would, would be like. It and seemed like it would be unbearable. Right. And then there's Tammy, Tammy Evans uh, and Charlie Evans. Man, without them, I mean, that girl, she put in so much work and they both did, did and they really showed me a good time. And I'm honored to call them my friends now. And Jeanette and James, they invited me to a family birthday party at the Catfish House. Is that right? Catfish. Uh, yeah, Catfish House. Yep. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait to come back. Like y'all's fried pickles are <laughs> on another level compared to ours and the Hush Puppies. I... I've never had anything like that. And then the white beans. We don't, I'm sure we oh, have white beans. I, y'all don't have those up there? <laughs> no, we have like baked beans. <laughs> yeah, baked beans are good. 
Yeah. But well, I, they probably were shocked by how much I, I'm able to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I really had a good time. There's a lot of cowabungas. Oh man, that place was yeah. excellent. Yeah, yeah. I remember you talking about that and uh, I'm, I'm going to have to go try it. You know, that place is pretty close to my house and I pass by it all the time. And um, Crystals. We have White Castle here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I had Crystals twice, just about 10 o'clock. I was like, I have to eat something. Where's Crystals? <laughs> <laughs> now, is it the same um, as White Castle, though? I mean, as far as when you get the food, does it? It's is very it all- similar, but it's cool. not quite as, it's a little bit different. Um, yeah. A little bit better, actually. So, yeah, I really like that. I like Pretty food, cool. if you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who doesn't? Yeah, I like it a little yeah. too much these days. The My, my uh, liking the food and the, the quarantine and the teleworking and all of that has uh, put a few pounds. Oh, I know. Me too. I've put me. 10 pounds <laughs> or more in the last, you know, four months. Crazy. Family did an excellent job. I'm glad they this went well for them and for uh, for Billy and uh, and Marie and Lisa and Tiffany and the whole family. You know, I'm just glad that it, they got to come to something and even after 19 years and see that everyone was still supporting them and thinking Absolutely. about sharing. You know, Absolutely, so awesome. So now I am going to invite Deborah in. So we're just going to kind of tell you a little bit about what we what we thought of it, seeing it for the first time, for me anyway, and I think Deborah as well. Hey, Deborah, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. It was so nice to meet you and put a face to the name and just hang out. We had such a good time. We did. I really enjoyed our powwow uh, with your sister and her notes. I need to have those notes, by the way, tell her. I want to know what she wrote down. I have told her that, and she's supposed to get it to me by today, but she works outside of the home. So she's been taking lots and lots of notes, and that's why she has not sent them to me yet. Right. I I thought I was involved in this, but she just, every day she calls me, and she's like, what do you think about this? And I'm like, uh. (laughs) That is awesome. Yeah. He's so sweet and just such a, I, I really enjoyed you both. And I really appreciate all that you've been doing. And not a lot of people want to do the grunt work, you know, the emailing and calling and researching. And so I just really appreciate all your help. And we just heard in the, uh, the audio of us walking around candlestick. So we're going to have Wesley join us. And then we can all three just kind of chat about that. I, for okay. me personally, it changed my, you know, this, the whole podcast is geared around the perceptions that people have and getting to the cold truth of the matter and yeah. perceptions of reality. And I have to say for myself, my perceptions were changed quite a bit. Um, for some reason, I thought Al- uh, Prattville, Alabama was going to be very rural. I don't know why I thought that. So that was different. And it's, it's equivalent to one of the bigger towns that we have here in Indiana. I live in a really small town compared to Prattville, like really small, but candlestick parts of it. It was so isolated, just like I thought, but that hill going down off of the main road, that kind of changes things as far as like, you can't see anything. You know, if a car were to drive down there from the main interstate road there, 31, you can't even see them once they turn right. 
And I tried to go out that other exit on the, by the castle. You can't, unless you've got a big dually truck, like you can't go out that way. So there's really only one entrance and exit um, to Candlestick. I have to tell you that my sister and I drove through, well, we started to drive through there on Thursday and I couldn't do it. I got spooked. I guess it was knowing what had happened. I wasn't spooked when I met up with you on, what was it, Friday, Saturday, and I was able to go through it. But it was just something about knowing what happened in that park that just spooked me big time. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, surreal. Um, And you could still feel the tension. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you. Is that what you were feeling? I did. Yeah. I mean, it was like it was the middle of the day. We were walking through there and we saw very, very few people. It was like I just got the feeling that they did not want to talk with us or did not want to talk about it. Yeah. Now, there were a few that, you know, they did. They did come out and talk to us. But the majority, it was just, it was unreal for that many people to be in that neighborhood and there not be that many people outside. Well, I saw quite a a lot of people out, but you're right. Like, I was... I kind of had the opposite perception of that. Like there was a lot of activity. My neighborhood during the day, there isn't a car going down the street. And (coughs) I have like the recordings of all the different cars and kind of the, there was one in the beginning where I'm pretty sure he was not happy with us being in his neighborhood, but it kind of gave me the little uh, rev rev of the truck, (laughs) diesel truck. And, there was quite a lot of people that I saw kind of looking out their windows or um, sitting in their yard, kind of looking at us like, what are you doing here? But yeah, you're right. Like uh, not a lot of people talking. And um, but that one family was very sweet. Yeah. But yeah, just suspicious eyes, which you can't blame them. I mean, Candlestick still holds that. Stigma, maybe. Right, stigma, yeah. What do you think, Wesley? What What did you pick up from walking candlestick? Uh, some, um, oh, well, hello there, Deborah. Um, hey, Wes. Nice to see you again. You too. Some of the things that um, I noticed, and I had, I've driven through there a few times, and I agree with Deborah that it has kind of a uh, a certain feel to it. Um, and part of that is, like you talked about, that it sits so low um, from the highway. And then when you go down in there, you really do feel like you're kind of, uh, you know, isolated where nobody can see you from the road. Kind of a uh, feeling of kind of an oppression, sort of a, a feeling or a sort of a, I'm trying to think of the word, just kind of, just kind of a dark feeling. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you know, I, I had said that in the vigil about just kind of that cloud. And that's kind of how I felt there. That's kind of where I got that line for the the speech at the vigil that I gave is just that that cloud. I just felt like until this is resolved and some resolution comes, there's just going to be a cloud over the neighborhood, her family and the investigators. There's just that unresolved feeling of it and the suspicion. And and also by the nature of the way uh, Candlestick is situated, um, I I really don't think that anybody who was just traveling by came in there, somebody who didn't live there or come there frequently. Nobody just dropped in there because it, it's, you don't go through candlestick to get anywhere. You know, like you said, there's really only one way in and out. So, right. And it's so tight through there. It's very small. It's yeah, a lot smaller than I thought. 
I think we probably wouldn't have suspicious eyes if C hadn't broke her arm and she'd been able to walk with us. It was like everybody knew we were there, you know? You could just feel them watching. There was a, quite a few people that were just blatantly watching. And then the truck that revved up, that happened yeah. a couple times. And they're aware. And that speaks to me about the perception I've had about this killer didn't just come in out of nowhere. They had to have belonged. Otherwise, yeah. they would have had the experience that we had. And everybody in there would have remembered them. Because I know that like we're talking after the crime, but from talking to the neighbors, the neighborhood was very much in each other's business, so to say. Like they had that already, that protective, you know, unit going. So I don't think that changed. It probably only heightened after, but it was definitely there. So that strengthened my perception of this is not a stranger to Candlestick, which is great. I mean, it really narrows down the suspect pool. I also think that if there had been any kind of a scene uh, involved, for example, you know, somebody driving by and, and, and snatching Shannon and dragging her into the vehicle or something like that, people would have noticed that as well. So it, it seems to me that it was something that didn't look out of the ordinary is what happened. For example, you know, Shannon may have just hopped in the, the vehicle if someone told her, you know, and because nobody noticed it. And if she had resisted or tried to run or yelled out, or if he had to actually physically drag her into the vehicle, then I think somebody would have seen that. And even with the trees having matured in Candlestick from 19 years ago, I felt like, especially that main around the pond, which is, you know, that's probably, like, I, I think I said it in the video, like, it's probably where they got the inspiration for roundabouts that we all hate. <laughs> but, you know, that area right there is very open, even still to this day with the immaturity of the trees and things. You can see for quite a while. Now, I did want to point out when we got onto where the Halloween man lived and the root beer man down a ways to the last person, the family that was the last people to see Shannon that day, who lived on the corner right by her police officer that we've talked about in the episodes. There's a hill. That kind of changed my perception because you can't, you can't see your, your vision is limited because of the hill. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed that I did on the way there down and then the way back. And, and I actually kind of like watched it and watched you guys. And the visibility, it changes things as far as who could have seen her and where could the people have seen her live, depending on where she was taken from. And I was able to talk to the last person to see her. His family and him came up to me at the vigil. Man, I could just feel the, the love that they had for Shannon, just the turmoil that they have been through since this happened. And I'll tell you what, between that that family and Candlestick, most definitely Shannon's family, there I don't think there would be anyone want this to be solved more than them, you know, just to clear his name. And it sucks that the last person to see a murdered victim ends up being a suspect just by the nature of the way it works. But man, um, I hope that I'm able to help him in any way that I can to get the truth out there. And they all couldn't have killed her, you know, and so many men have had to live with this cloud. What do you guys think? 
Did you get to meet that family? I did not. I think I know who you're talking about from previous podcasts, but I did not. I didn't meet them either. And I understand what you're definitely saying is that there's so many people that, you know, as we sit there and look at this and we have a list of people's names that come up and, and what we call people of interest. You're right. Only one of only one person or maybe at the most probably, you know, two or had help did this. And so all those that means all those other people totally innocent, you know, and, and hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For them to be feeling like they're being suspected. And I know I've talked to a couple of them, some of these other folks that we've, those names have popped up and, and I can definitely sense that when I talk to them. But it, and I can tell it bothers them that anybody would put their name in that equation. And I just try to explain that we're, you know, this is just our checking names off of a list and you know nobody's accusing them you know or anything like that but um, it's hard it's, i'm sure it's hard on that whole that whole community of people that were there absolutely living there at the time common in unsolved uh, homicides uh, to have that especially if they come out and say that they believe it's one suspect the suspect is male you know when they give kind of a description then everybody that meets that description is going to be that cloud is going to follow them around until the killer is known. And it sucks. The only person that should be carrying this burden is the actual killer. And he should be carrying that behind bars. But you know what? I, I can't help but think that he still has to be every day. It, it's uh, There has to be some fear there. Because I don't think we're dealing with a serial killer here. But I think we're dealing with a serial predator for sure. I agree. I think it does bother him. And I think this renewed focus, I think, has probably increased his anxiety as well, you know. Right. Uh, so uh, at least he's got that burden right now. But uh, he needs the part where they, uh, where he is accountable, gets held accountable, is the part that needs to happen. For sure. I think you both have driven in and gone to the right. I I didn't. Um, how long did it take you to kind of go around the pond and back out when you left? At a normal speed. I mean, you could get in and out of there just in a couple of minutes, probably, if there was nobody in your way. Um, and if you're driving around slow looking at things, you know, you're definitely going to complete the circuit, you know, about five minutes or something right. like that. Five minutes, yeah. Driving around the whole entire neighborhood? Yeah. Wow. So just driving down Dodgers and back out would probably under a minute, you think, or if if you were if you were just driving uh, and not really stopping or looking at anything, yeah, you could do it in under a minute. So yeah, someone could get out of there pretty quickly. But I still think that if there was a strange car in there, people would have seen it. You know, if we go back to that that day. Did you guys pick up anything else? Anything stand out? I'm trying to think uh, the impressions I get. Well, you know, there, there is the, you know, the backside of it, candlestick, you know, is, is the woods, creek and railroad tracks. And then on the other side of the trees, you know, you have those other trailer parks over there. There are other possibilities of what could have happened that don't include somebody driving in and out or driving out, but I don't know how likely they are. Very secluded is the, the main feeling. Yeah. 
I want to go to Montgomery to the archives and get a map of what Lit Park looked like on that day that she went missing. And then I want to mark where everybody lived so that I can get a perception. Because I I know walking it, you sort of got a perception that kind of leaves you as you go along. The memory of it kind of leaves you. So I want to go do that and get a map of that area so I can just focus on that and say, okay, I know this person lived here and this person lived here. And I don't, I don't know. That's a great idea. And because when you, yeah. when you think about that and, and if you have that mapped out and you have the names of the uh, people who were renting those trailers or living there, you pretty much almost, I, I feel you almost can say that you have the killer's name right there on the paper right. somewhere. Right. I had read somewhere yesterday that at some point, I think it was after 2001, maybe the state came in and took part of that park and redid it. And that's why I want to go back and see what it looked like on that day. That's true. I believe there was more trailers over to the left. Mm -hmm. You know, as we talk about going right or left, you go to the left. There was more out there, like on that, I guess on the backside, there were, instead of just going off into the trees, I think there were uh, trailers out that way as well, but there was a flooding problem, I believe. Right. They had to uh, fix that. Yeah. So yeah, there there are some changes since then. You're right. That'd be a great thing to get a one of those. I think uh, I'm gonna be able to do that in October. Yeah, that whole back road on Astros, there were mobile homes on that road and they're all gone now. So it does really kind of give you a lot more perspective and where the bus turned around is all gone now because of the creek flooding. But you can see it on Google Earth. I definitely do think you have a great idea of going and getting those archives and, and getting names. Wesley said the killer's name is more than likely on that list. Right. And, and when you think about that road, Astros, that would be on the backside. And so that'd be very secluded behind those trailers is nothing but the creek and the woods and the train tracks. You know, if somebody needed seclusion, that would be a perfect spot for it. Exactly. And back there along was the bus turnaround. There was like, there used to be kind of a little cul-de-sac. You know how Mets and Expos and Reds on that side all have little cul-de-sacs in the back. So did where the bus turned around and a lot of the kids, they would meet up and hang out right there. That back access, I can't see anyone coming up there to get into Candlestick to to abduct a little child in the middle of the day. I think they would have chose a different time. Yeah, Definitely an escape route out. Exactly. One of the things that I always come back to is there, I've seen cases before where you start thinking a certain way, I guess tunnel vision, might say and then when the case is solved you find out that what happened was so different and so simple never thought of it so i just kind of keep always keep that in the back of my mind that what really happened the way it happened could be so much different than what we're picturing and i think of cases the young man went missing and then they found him behind a refrigerator in a grocery store that he worked he had fallen back there and nobody knew it they had all these theories and speculation and it turned out to be something relatively a simple thing a lot of times i, I try to I guess uh, back out and come come into it again and see if there's other things that possibly could have happened, you know, that would result in her being abducted, but maybe not the same way we're thinking. Occam's razor. You know, a lot of people want to sensationalize or go full out conspiracy, but it's usually the simplest answer is the correct one. And sometimes it can be so random, or just such a random act. Somebody wandering into the neighborhood, maybe from the backside, just some type of a transient type person, it's possible, and just took the opportunity. But we don't have any evidence of that, you know, so there's, I don't go too far down that road, but I just kind of keep those things 
sitting out there to consider maybe there was another way that it happened? Yeah, definitely good to, you know, theorize. And you're right. You know, when you're there, you're seeing the the heavy woods on the backside near Expos. They, she came out of Max. That's what I've called him on all the other episodes. And his two sons came out, knocked on their door. They said, no, you can't come in. And right there is where those yep. deep woods are. So somebody who might not necessarily have set out that day to harm anybody, but also the kind of person that would uh, have no problem harming anybody could have just been one of those wrong place at the wrong time type things and it happened. Mm-hmm. I do have a question. I hope I can ask it on here. We were told the day that we walked the park, we were told that the police were asking some of the suspects to give their DNA again. Do you know why? Have they got new evidence or... Like we talked about a little earlier at the vigil, the mayor implied that there was some type of new or DNA testing that was due to come back or had just come back or some new evidence. Isn't that correct, Mel? Yeah, he did. So, yeah. so it is possible that based on following some leads that they did some more testing. And it's hard to know for sure, though, you know, what they, they don't let all that info out. Right. I thought that was interesting to find out that they are retesting, you know, asking for new comparative samples. Cause I think that's what they're doing is a lot of times it's really helpful for them to, to rule out as many people as possible. Correct. And, and back in 2001, the technology wasn't quite what it is now. So if they tested and cleared people, I'm sure the investigators who are looking at it now would feel better about it, mm-hmm. getting new samples instead of relying on some results that were in the record from 19 years ago. Right. And I'm just speculating here. I feel like that could be a strategy as well of not that they're going to turn in all the samples that they get, which is either a blood sample or a cheek swab, maybe they're just doing that as a strategy to see who's willing to give it and who's not. Yeah, that very well could be as well, you know, to see how people react. Right, because, you know, if you have nothing to hide, then, yeah, I would love to be cleared. Take it. But I do have to say, I can see where... I would be worried if, I mean, uh, you never know. I mean, the DNA is not supposed to... Is it doesn't lie, but I, you know, I, I would. I, there's hard. It would be hard not to feel nervous if somebody wanted to come take your DNA, and you know, you'd be worried about some kind of mistake or what if they, you know. Um, so even if someone who knows they didn't do anything, I, I think would be a little uh, unnerved by the whole process. That's true. Yeah, and um, I know quite a few people that would refuse just on the grounds of the. The rights protocol of the system and making you because, you know, they stand up for their rights as a U.S. citizen. And it's not about guilt. It's just about protocol. Um, I live with one. He would not. I know he wouldn't. You know, he knows the, the law and the codes and uh, the way things can end up bad for someone. So he would be one that they would have to put them in a category of, okay, are they just standing on the fact that they're not going to have their DNA uploaded into a system, a governmental system, or are they not wanting their DNA to be uploaded because they're the killer, you know, but they have to probably have indicators that they can tell the difference. I can see both sides. You have to find someone you can trust to try to help clear your name. 
April and Tom, you know, I really feel like they are very trustworthy and they are not in the good old boys um, regime that a lot of people speculate about happening mm. back then. And I think they're very straight, like, especially Tom, I, I only heard about April, but I think Tom is a very straight arrow and he loves his job and what that job stands for and the integrity and responsibility of it. And I just encourage people that are in that category of fear that they're going to all of a sudden be accused of this to put a little trust and faith in them. I think that things are going to look a lot different now compared to back then. You kind of touched on it a little bit. I, I, I can't help but think, you know, you look at some cases that are solved so quickly when somebody is, is found murdered or something that affected in it takes the investigators literally just a few days to make the arrest. And then there's cases like this one, for example, Delphi, where they, it seems so clear cut, but there's, they, they're not making an arrest and there's something wrong. Something is hindering, or at least I guess that's my question is what would be hind, what would be causing the slowdown? You know, somebody interfering, maybe an influential person that was uh, back then that uh, was kind of slowing the process up or, or basically maybe forcing the law enforcement to stand down on certain things? Yeah, that's a great question. And I have a feeling that C, she's a perfect person to ask. Um, she's got a lot of knowledge and still lives there to stay. She did a great job on the last podcast. I think that audio and like editing wise, I think that one, you know, I am getting better. <laughs> right. And that, there just could have been something going on that, that it was a roadblock back then. And then once the roadblock happened, then it, it has just been so hard for them to get back on the right track. You know, I look at that case um, down in Florida, down in Frostproof, Florida. The, there were three men, young men that were found murdered on a dirt road. They were they had just gone fishing. Mm. They had all been shot and there was no clues. It seemed like how would they ever solve that? And they solved it in like four days. And so then when you look at Delphi, it has all that evidence and then they can't solve it. Sometimes I wonder if it's, if the reasons they can't solve it, they're, they're reasons that are, uh, they're, they're people oriented reasons, maybe somebody or political reasons possibly uh, that are standing in their way based on who's involved. So, and it may just be a case of where some cases just have the perfect clue or the big break is just sitting right there. But I, sometimes I wonder if maybe the case is derailed.
Oh, she was taller than that. Four, ten, four, yeah, something like that. So you drive in, but you know where you're going. Maybe make a little circle and come up facing out. Or back. I gotta get rid of her quick. I I don't even know how to get her out. I got this trash bag. I'm gonna put her in it and get out of here before the the cops get here because people are already searching. I know where this place is. I'm just gonna go straight there. Come pull in knowing exactly where he's going with a spot already in mind because he likes this place. It's the clearing. It's this part. And you can find it easy to come back. So he pulls in and then... And then the first place that has cover. But you're going to have to, even if you say a van or a truck bed or a car even or a car whatever, you're going to... You, okay, the bag was tied with rope. If you drag that bag, it's gonna rip. Yeah. You, you, it would have to be carried. I think still. I don't think it would be carried like by the bag. I feel like it was a pick it up, one of these, and then just as quick as he can, and then just yeah. a, right with no real get it, and and then just and just hope that it's covered up enough. And you know. at the animals to see where where he made a mistake was that trash bag. I think the trash bag was convenient. Because he had to get her out, you know. Yeah. You can't get concealed too. She's in a house yeah. here. You're not going to be able to just uh, load a body up at seven. But if you have a bag, it looks like you're taking, just taking something out. But if no one is thinking she's missing yet, and you're taking your shot, you know, yeah. you'd have to have a reason that that, that you having black trash bags wouldn't stand out. Right. But if it, I just feel like it was a over the shoulder yeah. grab, like your Santa in a row like that's good enough i gotta get back i gotta get yeah, i gotta get, get back out of here and right out notice, this is this goes kind of downward a little bit it slopes a little so this would be more of a, a right. back in place to to back up real quick or and a bag is slick so even it's not going to take a strong person either right and you can kick that down Move it around. because it does slope right yeah. down there right if like say if you have a truck bed something you can pull it off a little easier but or a hatchback if you back it all the way up and then he booked it yeah. He busted out and he went right back home before the cops got there. But it was close. I just don't feel like she was taken somewhere else outside of Candlestick. No, I think you're right. She could. She may have stayed in Candlestick. I think she was. What did you think about the? I know you just heard the audio, Deborah, but you know Wesley we were there and walked it like what is your impression of you know the area and things that we talked about during that clip it's perfect spot to do something like that even the road as it exists the main dirt road which is county road 66 and then this road the fire lane trail you know it's off of that road but it comes it comes off at an angle so that when you drive by it's not as easy to just look down that road and see you you'd have to bend your neck backwards as you're driving by to see all the way up there so right from the very beginning it's very it's a blind area you go down and then that that the path that leads to the clearing is almost if you're not looking for it might not notice it so everything about it Somebody just had to know where it was, whether it was the killer or somebody who helped him knew a spot, you know, because once you get into that clearing, it's, I mean, it's almost totally secluded and it's quiet. Right. You, you would hear anybody coming if they were coming. Yeah, that's a very good point. And with the way it kind of, like you were saying, like sits off the road like that on a curve, I mean, you kind of got to know where to 
you're going to be turning right after that curve. You know, you kind of got to know where it is to even get on the road, let alone know that it's there, let alone find this place. And I don't know, there's just something about that. The clearing part just speaks to me that that's somewhere that this killer is very familiar with. And uh, he knew right where he was going. I don't know. That's just my personal uh, perception of it. And again, this is just speculation, but there was something almost very deliberate. I felt like once I saw the place myself of where she was found, I don't know. I, I know I had said in there of just a easy in and easy out, you know, go in, kind of turn around like that little clearing is a cul-de-sac and head yeah. right back out and get back before anyone notices you're gone. That's, but then, man, then you got that red dirt road. Like my car still had red dirt on it when I got home. And that's going to be something that hopefully us talking about this helps trigger a memory for someone. Did anyone come back into Candlestick that had red dirt all over their car? I was expecting to see a lot more red dirt, but really the only time I saw red dirt when I was there was when we went to the crime scene. Exactly. And the people who live in Candlestick or even in town somewhere are not going to have red dirt covering their tires and cars unless they do drive out there. And so their family member or friend or whoever it is that is paying attention, it would be an unusual thing to see vehicle like that. Like I said, I mean, I don't know about your car, but mine was covered and we had to take it very slow. Yeah. Um, it's a rough, it's in rough spots. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why it just feels like you definitely had to know where that road is. I, unless I was following you, I probably wouldn't have found it. And my internet wasn't working very well at all. So my map wasn't working. And so oh. think back now to 2001 when, when they had none of that. Exactly. They could look at any kind of a, an overall view to say, okay, do we want to go in this area? He had to know where it was because even if he just out of some panic, you know, just drove out and said, I'm going to find the first place I come to and, and dump her off, then it, she would have been off of the side of the, of the main, like 66. You know, he would have found a spot off the road and did that there. But he knew he wanted to go further in. But the only way he would have known that that existed there was if he had been there or if he had somebody right there with him saying, OK, here's here's the spot, you know, that I've been to before. So, um, right, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a that's pretty significant. You know, when you think about actually, yes, that's a very good point. We talk about who's in, who lives in Candlestick and then out of those people, which one of them are not necessarily just hunters, but. And you may be avid hunters that, that actually hunted that area. And it would seem like people would know, you know, their family and friends would know where their friends like to hunt. And if they're up there a lot, you know, it would seem like those are two things that if you match those up, it would be a good, uh, a good indicator, I would think. It just seems like, man, if you put A plus B plus C equals we gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always work out. Well, of course, like we know it doesn't work out like that. It's been 19 okay. years. So. Yeah. What the hell happened? The murderer himself, maybe he didn't know where that area was, or maybe he wasn't a big hunter. But but if he had an accomplice or or somebody helped him, maybe that person's the one that knew the area and knew how to get in and out of it. So that gives us, you know, if there's another person involved, then that's more uh, opportunity to to get that person to come forward or if we can get through to them, pressure them in some way to, mm-hmm. to step up, you know, or their spouse or whoever it is, somebody knows or they, they, they observe their spouse or their friend acting differently or there was something that they could have seen, you know, and that's the key right there. It's just been so long. Wish they had the uh, cameras back like <laughs> back then, like we do now. Cause if it was somebody who lived up there 
in the area where she was found, that would mean they would have to have some reason to have been down in Candlestick for something, you know, maybe working or picking up a friend or, but I don't think, you know, if you're working or if you're giving a, you know, carpool ride to a friend back and forth, that's not the ideal. I wouldn't think would be the ideal circumstance to abduct somebody, you know, when you're in the middle of your daily routine with people around and that you're, so it still just keeps pointing back to that they originated in Candlestick and, and they know the area up there where she was found. That's the way it seems to make the most sense with me, but there's so many factors and we don't know that it's possible. Anything's possible. Right. And another thing I kind of picked up being out there, I know things have changed a little bit, like the gravel wasn't there and the fence wasn't there. So access was probably Mm -hmm. still the same. I mean, you couldn't have drove back there if the fence was there. So that that wasn't, though. And then with it being a dirt road, um, probably it it would be a lot quieter. And it's very isolated. And there's a lot of places that she could have been placed that, I mean, he, you would have had a lot of time out there. Like he could have buried her. He could have took her further back into the woods. Right. Where she was found was just right there. And plus with the clearing, that was what was struck me as so odd is why, why the clearing? I can see the clearing as being like convenient because you can drive in there and you're not having to walk. But I think he's carrying a, unfortunately, we have to say this, but a child, a, an 83 pound, 86 pound child who was pretty tall in a trash bag. The convenience of being able to drive your car back in the clearing is probably why that place was chosen. Even from back there, he could have walked really deep into that underbrush. Correct. And, and that's what I was um, thinking. Maybe in his in his planning, he thought that's what he was going to do. But it could be that maybe he panicked as he was going out there and just didn't implement the plan going all the way into the woods. And he got a little scared and just put her down there. Because yeah. obviously where, where she could be seen because the hunters saw her. That's true. And yeah. maybe that was his thought. Maybe he wanted her to be found. So he put her in an area where hunters might see her. Good point. I had just once seen it, I had a lot of questions about it. Was it about what you're talking about with the fear? Did he get, did he get spooked or had to get back and planned on going back later and didn't feel safe doing that because he was being watched? Does that speak to the inexperience of the killer? I mean, let's face it. If you are experienced at murder, you're going to know not to put anything in a trash bag, let alone everything in the trash bag. That was a big mistake, fortunately, that he made. Say fortunately, you know. And, And also you think about if he did this all in one day, the day he abducted her. He would have the advantage of, in the first few hours anyway, of nobody knowing anything was wrong necessarily. So he would have had more time to uh, to do that, to maybe bury her or go back further in the woods. If she had been in another place, if he was hiding her and this happened afterwards, what when people started to look for her, then he would be more scared, I would think. And he'd have more of that panic or adrenaline when he was trying to, to hide her up there. You know, he wouldn't feel as comfortable that he had much time. So he, that could have caused... Uh, yeah. Ugh. So much to unpack here. I didn't realize how how this roundtable was really going <laughs> to. Well, you know, it's it's all the things we talk about and uh, or that we think about necessarily and to be able to talk about them and kind of record them. And, and so maybe someone listening, maybe will somehow strike a, a nerve there or something in them or something that jogs a memory where they might be able to, to figure some things out. You know? I hope so. I mean, that's why we keep doing what we're doing and and sitting here on the phone with me for hours. So I really appreciate you guys joining me. Good conversation as usual. And I, I thank y'all and um, I'll catch up with you later. All okay. right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. He's such a cool guy.
He is. I like him a lot. I do too. He's, his energy is just so calming, you know, and very intelligent and the biggest heart. I was talking to his son-in-law, Jacob, and through Messenger and especially his daughter, Maddie, because she is a creator of the Justice for Shannon Paul group as well. It's okay. his daughter. They did it together, which I think is adorable. I try to get my kids to, but they're not into it at all. <laughs> you know, and they're just such a sweet family. And his daughter, she admins the group still, was there and... Jacob put together that beautiful video. So I'd ask, is there something I could do for them? So he said he's going to let me know. But yeah, okay. he's a great guy. And just being able to step up and help me, you know, with speaking at the vigil. I, I was a nervous wreck, but he was just cool as a cucumber, you know. What got him interested in, in this? Do you know? Um, I think he's kind of, I first met him in a group for, or met him online in a group for, the case here locally, the murder of Abigail Williams and Liberty German here mm-hmm. in Indiana. Mm-hmm. In the episode that I did with him, he had said he had just noticed that, you know, this is a case that where he lived and he noticed that there wasn't a group for her really. And so he just thought, you know what? I can do that. But uh, yeah, he lived in Prattville. That's where his passion for true crime and, and the local unsolved case kind of spurred him and his daughter to create the group. So very thankful they did. You said something about um, Ty Foster being mistreated. Do you not? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think that he's a viable suspect. I think on paper. Yeah. Me and my dad kind of argued about that, too. And I think I'm kind of an outlier on him. For sure, because, yeah, on paper, I can see where Ty and Jack Gibson were suspects number one and two. Right. But I've noticed that with the Delphi case ended up the other families that I help, uh, the killer of their children were, were grown adults. But Garrett Kurtz, man, he's became an Internet and online suspect for Delphi as being the Delphi killer. And buddy, the shoe fits like he he checks a lot of those boxes and Mm -hmm. on the surface of it, he looks good for it or a potential to look good for it. But sometimes that's all it is, is just looking good for something and not really being the killer. And so so moving on to the vigil, which is why we were all there. What was your take on it? What were some highlights for you? Which speaker was your favorite? Uh, You. Oh. You were my favorite speaker. I thought you did an awesome oh. job. <laughs> <laughs> You're just saying that. <laughs> the detective was good. I felt like he was truly working this case, that he he really wanted to solve it. Do you mean um, C.J. Henderson? I think so. He came, the, he's tall, blonde. Right, yes. He's an yeah. assistant DA for the 4th yeah. District. Um, with the attorney's office, and he read a statement from Prosecutor Randall Houston. Correct. And he would be on the team that is going to prosecute the killer of Shannon. But yeah, I agree. He did a great job. 
you can tell he speaks in public. (laughs) But yeah, I thought the vigil, just everything about it was, it was really good. I wish I had got a chance to spend more time with Shannon's family. Really didn't get to spend any time at all with her sisters. I met Lisa at the vigil and uh, didn't get to spend any time with Billy or Marie. Marie, a little bit, we met at the park when we were doing the meeting. When I go back, I'll get to spend some more time with them. And, you know, kind of a downer just because I was there and I live eight hours and 40 minutes away. So, but yeah, I felt like it was a really good trip, initial trip. And um, hopefully the next one will be when there's going to be an indictment coming down the pipe. I, I really hope. And I hope it's next year. I told my daughter I, the other day, I was telling her about the vigil and all that. And I said, and mark my word, when this person goes on trial, I will be there. She mm-hmm. said, I know you will. Right. Me too. I will be. You know, and that's the thing. It's just, uh, it's eating me alive today because right now or earlier today, I should have been in the courtroom with Cheryl, uh, my other mom, victim's Mm -hmm. mom. And she is just such an inspirational woman. Her and Dottie, the other two mothers, they have taken a plea. But because of uh, COVID restrictions, the court is closed to the public. At least they allowed her to be in the courtroom. But man, I've, I've been working with them for over a year now. And it was just like, Darn it, COVID. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there for that end. And so, buddy, I tell you what, I don't care if I got to leave in the middle of the night. I'm going to be there when this bastard is brought up those courtroom steps or waiting the rest. Like, I know you will be too. Um, I will be. I'll pick you up on my way through to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep me company on those hills. <laughs> Whew, those hills were rough in the fog. And then I drove home with a towel around my neck. Because it froze on me on Monday morning, completely froze. I couldn't move it from either side, back, forward. So I had a towel around my neck trying to get home because I got to get my daughter to college. And finally got that all figured out. Get in my car, get to the gas station, get out, buy some shirts for my kids, get back in the car. And all of a sudden, my leg is on fire. There were fire ants. Oh, all in my car. I'm talking hundreds of fire ants. And so it literally took me five hours to get out of Prattville that day to get on my way to get back home. Whew. Don't ever put anything down on the ground in Prattville or Alabama, period. Those red ants. <laughs> oh my gosh. Those, th- you know, I've never been stung by a fire ant. We have them here, but definitely not everywhere like there is mm-hmm. in Alabama. It's true. They're so tiny, but man, it's fire. My leg was on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a happy camper. And then I was so paranoid the rest of the trip home. I sprayed ant spray in my whole car. Pretty sure I drove home high half the ride. And I kept touching my face and getting ant spray in my mouth. But I'm so paranoid I was going to get stung. <laughs> well, I got a sinus infection while I was there, I guess, at my sister's, you know, going in and out of the cold and the hot. Right. And my daughter was freaking out. She just knew I had COVID. So they make my husband and my daughter made me go to the doctor after I got home that Monday. And thankfully I was negative, but yeah, I had the COVID test done. So good. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. And I wanted to ask if you would mind co-hosting an episode in the future with me. Sure. Awesome. 
Great. I love having co-hosts. I think we, it's so much more interesting to hear a dialogue than, you know, me writing right. a script, but uh, I can't talk into this mic without a script or a person. <laughs> so I appreciate you sure. and everything that you did. And yeah, I, I, you know, the vigil, we did what we, we can check the box, like check. We got the media. We got the town officials, the investigators. We did it. And I couldn't have done it without your help and helping me, keeping me on task. <laughs> You're good. You're good. <laughs> and I really appreciate it. I need a manager for sure. I get rabbit trails a lot. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're doing this because I came back from the vigil and I was all hyped up. And then it was like, okay, where do we go from here? Right. What's next? Me too. How do we keep it alive? I was depressed. I was too, because it was like, it's over. Right. It's and not over. I was so planned on using the coverage, the, the like the media, you know, because I assumed it was going to be on the news. Mm-hmm. And I assumed that I would be able to find a link for that and be able to start sharing that and really, you know, using that on the podcast, these media outlets, it's not just some unknown podcaster, like all of these news channels in Alabama are, we're we're talking about this and use that to get some buzz to generate the buzz moving forward for our goal. And then I planned on using my audio from the vigil and I lost all of it. So I was just like so depressed afterwards of like, what do we do now? What TV stations were out there? Do you know? Um, Channel 8 or Alabama News Network and then WFSA. The producer from WSFA, he he did email me back and he sent me the one that the family did. I said, well, I already have that one. But I, I could have swore I was interviewed by y'all at the vigil. And he just sent back that that the one that they did before was the only one that they aired. I saw myself on TV that night. I just couldn't hear it because we were in a bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of just disappointing. And it's like, man, I was that was where my map, you know, my spreadsheet was sending me. That's where right. I was going to go. And then it all fell apart. College. Now she's getting sent home for 10 days. I really hope she doesn't have it, but we got to get her tested. Right. But I really appreciate you joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Coming in the future, and I'm excited to pick you up. (laughs) (laughs) I'll probably be at my sister's, so you'll have to come by way of Birmingham, pick us both up. Oh, yeah. Your sister has to be there. (laughs) She can come up. She's better at this stuff than I am. I always tell her, I say, you are the nosiest person I know. And she said, well, if you don't ask, you don't get the answers. Bold. She comes up with stuff that I would have never thought of. So I know. I'm hoping she will join us. We well, she will. Table just, with the sisters. That'd be cool. <laughs> just ask her. She'd love to. Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah, definitely. I would glad that'd be really cool. <laughs> she is. She's smart as a whip and many, man, she ain't as scared to ask a question. That's oh, no. And so, yeah, that, that's a great idea. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that's okay. really cool. I think the viewers are really like that. Or the listeners, saying <laughs> viewers. All right, Deborah. So All right. we'll talk to you later. Have All a right. Bye. You have a good one. Bye bye. This is what a good tip consists of. Number one, the suspect's full name. 
Number two, date of birth or approximate age. Number three, physical description, including height, weight, color of skin, hair color, eye color. Number four, address or location, including the city. Number five, vehicle information, such as a license number, year, make, model, color. Number six, a specific reason for the tip. Why could they be the suspect? Number seven, motivation for the crime. Number eight, connection to the area. And I took the liberty of adding the rest of these numbers. Number nine, calling or emailing the correct tip line, which I will say all again here in a minute. Number 10, if comfortable, leave your name, how you know the suspect, and at least two ways you can be contacted, either by your cell, your landline, email, or all three. And number 11, if you do not know all of the aforementioned details, call or email anyway. If you no longer want to carry the burden of what happened to Shannon, please call the secret witness line for Prattville PD at 334-595-0259. You can call Detective Sergeant Tom Allen with Prattville PD, the investigator in charge of Shannon's case, at 334-595-0256. His email is tom.allen at prattvilleal.gov. I'll spell that. T-O-M dot A. L-L-E-N at sign P-R-A-T-T-V-I-L-L-E-A-L dot G-O-V. You can also call the hotline for the Attorney General's Cold Case Unit at 866-419-1236. Their email is coldcasetips at Alabama ag.gov I'll spell that c-o-l-d-c-a-s-e-t-i-p-s at sign a-l-a-b-a-m-a a-g dot g-o-v I hope you all enjoyed and I wanted to let you know I will be hosting a live call-in roundtable-like discussion Sunday on YouTube We will check out the highlight vigil video Jacob so kindly put together, and I'm hoping I can figure out how to upload my video that I made. I've put all of the pictures that people have graciously let me use and some of the videos that I took into a movie, I guess, a video. I can't figure out what I'm doing wrong when I try to upload it. It's not working. I'll continue to work on it. And hopefully we will get to preview that and discuss where we go from here. Deborah had said that in this interview, and I thought it was a fitting title for the episode, Where Do We Go From Here? I don't really know. I would like us to all come together and for you guys to call in and tell me, where do we go from here? The details will be on Shannon's page, and I do hope that you will join and be Shannon's voice. Please share this podcast with as many people as you can or go to Shannon's page and share anything that keeps her story alive. And don't forget, live on Sunday. And again, thank you for listening to Cold Truth. Y'all have a good one.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus